Yeah, I understand you want a sex room. My name is Melanie Rose. For over 15 years, I've been designing high-end homes. So when a client asked me if I'd ever designed a sex room, I thought, why not? Why wouldn't I go and design a sex room? sex rooms they concentrate on the word sex and that connotates dirty disgusting <laughs> wait a minute don't give us some pussy tap <laughs> but when i design them they can be beautiful no video games in here? no we're not playing video games in here It's absolutely incredible that something as humble and inconspicuous as a little brown mushroom could change human consciousness, could make people more creative, could heal them. Hi, Candy here, who survived crossing the cheese curtain. I'm in Wisconsin. Hi, Eugene. Hey, Candy. Hello, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. You're your agent in Toronto. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Good. Not too shabby. I had a little nap. You did. I know. A, I little, a little 30 minute power nap before this. <laughs> I laughed when you told me you were going to have a nap. Are you a napper? No, not really. I mean, it depends. When, when, when my daughter was a baby, yeah, I slept when she slept. Ah. But uh, you know, when I was growing up, my father was a napper. And yeah. I thought, oh, I'll never be a napper. I'll never, mm -hmm. like, in the middle of the day, have, like, an hour's nap. And I do it all the time now. Right. Well, you know, I mean, you stay up pretty late. and uh, I stay up late. I get up early. Right. And then I just have that little siesta. Yeah. Yeah. I realized I poured myself. Oh, I've got a diet Dr. Pepper here. Yeah, a little well, siesta can be good. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm going to fall asleep. Sometimes, maybe. No, I'm, I'm usually too busy. <laughs> You're drinking a diet Dr. Pepper. Is yes, that just pure chem pure chemicals? And it might be, but you know what? It oh, was there's here. no sugar. There's no sugar. It's, it's just pure chemicals. Pure chemicals. It was here and it tastes delicious, actually. All right. <laughs> well, and, I'm uh, having a, uh, a Zwayek Polish beer. Oh, very nice. You know what? Um, you know, well, I'll tell you why I'm here. I did get offered a drink a drink when I set up and I said, well, I don't know if I can have a drink because the reason I'm here is I'm with my editor. We're going to do some editing of the documentary the next two Excellent. nights. Yeah. And uh, Trisha, an avid listener and friend to the podcast. Oh, she's going to say hi even. Hey, hey hi, Trisha. <laughs> so um, I thought, well, if we're going to edit, I, I can't really drink when I'm editing. At least that's what I think. I don't know. I could change my mind. Really, you have to explore the, those frontiers. I know. Well, I did bring edibles just in case. I see. Yeah, I brought the edible called Genius. <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll make you smarter. It does feel very lucid. It does feel like you're very clear-headed. Um, yeah, so I had a great little drive, and um, I want to send a big hug out to a um, friend of ours. I want to say thank you to everybody for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate anyone listening, anyone new listeners, but I want to send out a big hug to our friend Adamandia. Um, she's going through a bit today, and I just... Uh, She's had a loss, and I just want to send her a big hug. Thanks for taking a minute to do to do that, uh, yeah, Candy. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, what else is happening? I found a decorating show that my husband will watch with me. Oh, really? Yes. The only problem is he already watched it. He found it before I did. Ah. <laughs> it's called How to Build a Sex Room. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I said, hey, what, what, what is this sex room? Oh, it's awesome. Um, so I, I noticed on on Netflix, I was about to cancel my subscription once again. <laughs> and I noticed that it had a notification for how to build a sex room. I went, what the hell? No, that can't be real. And then I started to play it. And it's very cute and entertaining. It's very entertaining. It's a woman who was a, a designer for ages. And then she tells us. Uh, that she, um, she's been a designer for 50 years, uh, interior designer, but one of her clients finally said to her, could you build me a sex room? And she was quite shocked at first. And then she said, well, yeah, tell me about it. What do you need and what's going on with that? And maybe I can do it. And she's been doing it ever since. And I guess they made an eight part series and it's an awful lot of fun. It's very, very cute and pretty funny because they film, you know, just like any show, they show you the, a room that's empty or space and it's you know usually some neglected part of a house and um she talks to the clients why do they want this what are they what are they interested in what are your kinks what are your fantasies and um then she proceeds she have like a different client each show yes and the way they structure it is it's actually two different clients every show one you get introduced to and by the end of the episode I think they reveal that room, but partway through they introduce another client. And then by the end of the next episode, their space is revealed. So it's kind of, it's. Do they get done. two different clients together in one sex room? No, no, not. Because that would really. be fun. It would be fun. But I'll tell you what's, what's really good about the show is first of all, she's very charming. Her name is Melanie Rose and she's British and she's hilarious. And her team, when they, the way they film it, when they're doing the renos as the camera goes up really sensuous to the tools so they have a lot of fun camp with that even renovations are sexy Uh um yeah and then they film the streets of the city really kind of erotically and they have some fun music and then they have songs like uh the music sounds very much like a selling sunset where the songs are super specific lyrically but what's interesting is that the um the the people that they have picked are quite diverse so here's some of the some of the um inclusive representation Queer, straight, suburban, black, gay, rural, burlesque, farmers, polyamorous, and nomads. Uh-huh. So at one point, she ran a sex rooms for everyone, really. There's sex rooms for everyone, yeah. yeah. And everyone is pretty, um, they're very generous with sharing their information. I'd like to and know a little bit about the nomad sex room. You would love it. So it's two women. And they fell in love and they um, they both work on the road. One's a singer and songwriter and the other one writes, she um, writes articles for um, about sports and music events. So they're traveling and guess what? They have a transit van. So uh-huh. I was dying to see inside this transit van. The full size like. or the transit canal? Of the full size, the full size, wow. like the Amazon trucks almost, you know? So she goes Those away. Ones, they really bang around a lot when you drive them. Uh, no pun intended. so she drives out to what i would say i would describe to you a highway that you and i have driven it looked very much the zoom not the zoom the drone camera looked very much like um the highway you and i went on to top of the world 
Ah. It looked like Montana or somewhere like that. I don't know if it was, but it, it really looked like it out to the middle of nowhere. And there's these two women. And they said, as soon as they move into this van, their sex life died. It just went there to die. And she goes in the van and they have so much stuff. It's so unorganized that it's just uncomfortable. They have a big keyboard across their bed. and Well, they need Marie Kondo, not, not a sex room. Right. Well, this is the difference. I, I, I guess it's not Marie Kondo. It's a, a different perspective. She puts lots of stuff in their rooms. I've decided, by toys. the way, yes. I've decided that Marie Kondo actually speaks perfectly good English. And this whole I only speak Japanese and I need a translator business is all all show business. I don't know. I have no that's, idea. That's what I say. I, I've watched the show. I don't even remember the, the language or anything. Isn't that funny? I don't remember that at all. It's easy to forget. <laughs> a lot of I've people's lives. Hard. A lot of people feel that their lives are improved and have blossomed since getting sure, rid of stuff. Sure. <laughs> but you know, during I like the, my clutter. I know during the pandemic, clutter became trendy because <laughs> everyone was stuck in their houses, and so all of that hipster design and Marie Kondo design of minimalism went out of trend. And layering, layering is a big deal. And coastal grandma. Layer, we call it layering too. Other people call it clutter. Well, I'm looking at your layering right now. I can see it layering because you've got a bookshelf and then you have things hung over your bookshelf in front of your books, like paintings and art. So <laughs> yes, that would be called layering. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I recommend it's a lot of fun. It's just a really cute show. It's not too scary, but what's amazing is that everyone was so generous in talking about their um, private sexual lives and what they, you know, wanted. And they really want connectedness and to, um, their lives are becoming rigid and they wanted to um, push against that rigidity of, you know, commonplace or uh, what's what's the word when you get um, set in your ways? Um, Stodginess. That could be it. It starts with- Old fartedness. <laughs> Press the that old fartedness. All of those work. All of those work. Those, those all work. Uh, complacency. I'm well advanced into crusty old farthood. <laughs> and I spend an awful lot of my life and time pushing against rigidity, trying not to have my mind get rigid. Yeah. So um, I've been sewing. I got my sewing machine back. Excellent. Yeah, it was great. It took a while. Um, was I, it a big I, repair? No, it was not a big repair. It was $87, which I didn't think was too scary. That's beautiful. I mean, you can't you can't even take your pet to the vet for $87. <laughs> you would know. <laughs> Believe me. That is true. So, um, and I was missing a, a spool cap. Um, I don't know how I sewed. They couldn't believe I sewed for a week without it. And um, perhaps that jammed it up because tension, the tension of the thread is a big part of the sewing machine's function. Uh, all of which I don't understand, but I, I, I sort of understand it, but I don't really, really understand it. I know that for different fabrics and different thread, you change the tension on the, on the uh, machine. There's a dial that goes, you know, one to, I don't know what, I haven't turned it up very often. So I don't know what the maximum number is. I usually sew on three or four because that's most fabrics. And um, I learned so much just by going to two fabric places or two sewing machine places this week. So the, 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 the woman who, um, I, I, I assume somebody in her family is a mechanic, but um, because he called me when I was in Canada and I said, go ahead. And he told me how much it was going to be. And I said, go ahead. And um, so, but she was, she gave me needles 
And she said, the needles, she said, just because it's got a brand name and you, most people would think that would be a good company. These are not good needles. And I said, well, I just bought four packages of them back home. She's like, yeah, no good. And she gave me two packages of needles. And I told her I was going to sew gauze. And so she gave me needles specifically for recommended for gauze. And then I wanted to sew silk and she gave me needles for that. Um, wow. I think the finer so you, the fabric- I bet you're going to start. You're going to be just jumping down that rabbit hole and learning <laughs> so much every time you do anything now. Yeah. It you was realize really how little you know. Yeah. It was really exciting to hear this information. The thing is, I knew there was, uh, I knew there was some things that were issues towards it, but I wouldn't have known how to find out about it. And then I went to another place to get this, this, the cap. So I thought, well, how am I going to get this cap? I could order online, but I was really hungry to, to sew something. I didn't want to wait for a delivery from the ordering. I understand machine. that. Yeah. So I ran out and I, 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 I got my, I needed to fix my brake on my car. When I got back home, of course, the brake was making noise. So I took it in and got the rear left brake fixed. So I went to pick up my car and I Googled uh, sewing machines repair or supplies. And there was a place really close by. And when I went in there, it was another delightful experience. Um, they had the cap on stock and I was able to get that. And um, she went back and tested it on a sewing machine that was the same make as mine in the back room that they were servicing as well. And I signed up for sewing lessons. Excellent. Yeah, I'm kind of proud of myself. So um, that will start maybe next week or in 10 days, I think. It starts in, in the near future. Well, and there was a really list good. of things. Because it's going to help you break through the technical barriers, Correct. which are the kinds of things which will, will otherwise cause you to give up. Yeah. Well, you know, yesterday I sewed for a long time and I really wanted to give up about a hundred times. It was terribly frustrating. Um, my friend, Karen, who I'd sewed with in, um, in Tennessee, she saw some hems I had done. I was going to do a fringe, no, a frill, a frill on a, on, on one of the things I'm making. And she said, you've sewn too many hems. It's going to be so difficult to sew. Well, I didn't want to undo those hems. So yesterday I was sewing those hems and they were horrible to sew. She was absolutely right. I knew she was right, but I just didn't want to undo them and, and do something else. I wasn't sure what to do to fix it. So I sold them and the garment wow. came out. I, okay. I know the whole story of going way out of your way to fix something that you shouldn't have to fix because you shouldn't have done it in the first place. Yeah. You know, I, I totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the, the stubbornness involved is well is, it was also i would say even sheer laziness i just didn't want to undo it yes and but of course I, you're going to end up doing more work yeah it was just very challenging i mean it worked out okay and the issue she was really worried about not just the difficult of sewing was that it was going to hang heavy but once i already did it i went no i kind of like the way it hung i won't do it ever again um, I will find out when I get lessons how to seal up that fabric because, you know, I was concerned about fraying edges. Sometimes you want fraying edges that can be part of a design, but I didn't want that to fray. I was sewing gauze. And so um, I'll have to find out. I think I need, I think you have to use a serger. Uh -huh. And a serger is something that sews a bunch of stitches on a raw hem. A serger is not who you see when you break your ankle. No. No. Serger, I think it's probably spelled S E. <laughs> R-G-E-R. -E I don't know, though, but I think okay. so. Yeah. So my adventures in sewing. <laughs> well, it's pretty exciting. It is pretty exciting. And I think you're going to find that there's a, a an initially sharp but fast learning curve. And then so. you're, you know, you're going to get the main problems out of your way and you'll be laughing with only occasional technical difficulties right. along the way. Well, one of the fun things is going to stores. Like I, I know. Yeah, no, no, no. Of course you did. Because when you learn something new, there's 
there's something that when you learn something new, there's a whole, this is why I knew that there's going to be something about the needles, about the thread, about that. Not because I had any idea about sewing, but because I know about art and making art, there's always something you want to tweak. And um, you find out that there is a difference between um, amateur, you know, student paints and professional paints. You know, Steg and I argue about this all the time because he would use student paints. And I said, it looks like a rotten dishcloth. It looks terrible. You haven't got the good colors, you know, they turn to mud when you mix them. Uh, they're so poorly made. Um, so yeah, it's like that to use the right tool for the job or the right. So the needles thing was kind of revolutionary. That was a big difference. So yesterday when I was sewing, aside from my double hems, I was sewing that I didn't need to with a ruffle. So I was sewing a ruffle with a hem which is already thick onto another hem when I should have sewn them pretty much not sewn at all together raw. I should because, have sewn them because ruffles have ridges. <laughs> <laughs> Trisha is laughing at you. I refuse to admit that I'm laughing. <laughs> yes, because these ruffles, there was a lot of ridges, a lot of, so the poor sewing machine, there's a foot on the sewing machine and it was like climbing up Mount Everest to sew over these things. Exactly what my I friend think Karen I can. told me. I think happened. I can. Yes, I think I can sew this. But it did come out ultra cute, ultra, ultra cute, despite my hassle. Um, so yeah, I just am loving that. Um, it was great to use a sewing machine with it working properly yesterday. And I can totally feel a difference. Um, and it doesn't have a clanking noise. <laughs> Poor sewing Which machine. Is, clank, clank, normally clank, speaking, uh, mechanical devices that don't clank <laughs> are uh, better than right. ones that do. Right, right. Yeah. And that, that could have been the, the tune-up they gave it, putting oil in it. That could have helped. Declank it. Tea clanking it, yeah. So, and then, oh yeah, what I was trying to say was um, the thing about starting a new hobby or practice or doing something is of course you get to go to stores you've never gone to before and you have a oh, new yeah. used to go shopping there. You got to gear up. <laughs> you got to gear up. And so when I signed up for the sewing lesson, she gave me a, a list of things I have to get. I'm super excited about. I think I have to get a pattern and I can bring my sewing machine in or use theirs. I'm going to bring my sewing machine into the class and I have to get fabric and parts for the pattern. So I'm pretty excited about doing that. Cool. So you can make anything there and they're going to show you how to sew it. Well, I, 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 I suspect they're going to say, get a set. There's, there's levels of patterns. So all patterns, are not the same. There's going to be beginner, middle and more difficult. Obviously, You're going to want to go for the more difficult. I know you. I know, but I am going to go get something simple. I have a tendency, you know, in, in learning fiddle, mm -hmm. um, I often bring tunes to the table yeah. and, um, and my teacher likes that because she likes the tunes I'm bringing to the table, but also mm. if the ones I, I choose, I'm going to really want to play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but, um, sometimes I'll want to bring tunes to the table that are way more difficult for me <laughs> yeah. to play. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, and I'll tell her what I want to play and she just kind of looks at me. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's like, oh yeah, this is going to be hard. Yeah. I'm not going to do any like, you know, uh, evening gown. No, I'm going to find something. I'm not sure what yet, but I think it will have ruffles on it. <laughs> With or without if, ridges. If it doesn't have ruffles, I'm going to get a pattern that I can add ruffles to. 
Of course, because yeah. now that you know how to do ruffles, you've got I'm to put really ruffles at everything. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really into the effect of ruffles. So yeah, uh, I will have to do that. And um, yeah, I'm everything really looking forward to it. Frilly and Rococo Barocco. Correct. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> exactly. I was looking at all kinds of fabric. I went to this place that's like, um, I've got two fabric stores, like two or three. There's Joann's, which is a very general fabric store. Then there's 2121, which I don't think I shared a video of. I meant to. And it's a block away and it's insane. It's um, a warehouse and it's got four or five floors and it's endless, endless, endless fabric. A lot of it is not natural fiber. It's a lot of decorative costume kind of fiber. Um, which is really fun, of course, really fun, but I can't touch it. It's like sequins and crazy. It's like for cheerleaders and theater people. Um, they don't carry a lot of cotton and linen. Um, so I went to Vogue, which is way, way up on the north side of Chicago, on my way to Wisconsin. I timed this very carefully. And I looked around at some of their amazing fabrics there. And they had some great um, Hawaii shirt linen, like Hawaiian pattern linen wow i almost got some to make you a shirt but i'm not quite ready yet <laughs> but i see that they have it and they have a lot of it and that could well be you know i don't happen to own any hawaiian shirts but yeah. i do have a sea scout captain's hat that's, that's just it. screaming out for an accoutrement ensemble yeah i'm gonna make you something to go with that for sure <laughs> absolutely it's gonna be adorable <laughs> No, I now, mean, really now cool I put badass. my hat on and I say, this is your captain speaking. I know, but <laughs> the shirt, I, the, the garment I make you with that hat and your tat, it's going to be off the charts. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> you know, surfing the cutting edge of the fashion experience That's once right. again. That's right. How's your tattoo doing? It's, um, it's healing up very well. Um, I managed just to get a scratch on my arm across it the other uh -huh. day, which... Um, seems to have pretty much disappeared uh, but yeah it's healing up fine the, the skin seems to have stopped flaking and I'm still putting uh, moisturizer on it in the morning and the evening and I put sunscreen on it so it doesn't mm. burn mm. Uh, but yeah it's healing up fine oh excellent excellent um I'm hoping on this trip I'm looking over at Trisha she's at work in her office right now she's still at work but um i'm hoping we can actually make a bit of a trailer if all else fails we're going to go through a lot of um footage but i'm also hoping we can throw together a, a new trailer and just have a lot of fun doing that i'm pretty excited so you know rock stars go away to a farm to record right so i've come to a farm in wisconsin how many acres are we on five five acres of farm and it's nice. just beautiful and they have imagination stations here too Beautiful. Yeah, I'll send you a couple of pictures. And if Trisha gives me permission, I'll, I'll send some on Facebook too. Um, but uh, it's a, a very cool place. I, I, it's kind of exciting that we're going to work on this tonight. And, and we have to try not to stay up till four in the morning, of course, you know, mm -hmm. like rock stars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that sounds like, that sounds like fun. Yeah. I watched a bit of the show that you um, said you, that you had, uh, said you were going to check out the German comedy. Oh, yeah. Isn't that an oddball show? It's a very odd thing saying German comedy, too. <laughs> it's odd. And, and uh, I know that you have it as a subtitled I do. show. Yes. And yes. on our Netflix, it's a dubbed version. Isn't that crazy that it's 
that, that it's so different. Yeah. Um, I got used to mine. It's just that when you want comedy, you kind of want to hear the jokes as they're happening in a way. But I got into the vibe of it and I, I enjoyed it so far. Watched a couple of, intro- of episodes. It's called King of Stonk. Stonk. And Stonk is from a meme of like a corporate guy like Elon Musk or um, Jeff Bezos or somebody who's on um, Silicon Valley. Do you know that meme of the Kronk man? Well, I just, I looked it up just like you you did. did? Oh, you did? Okay. And it says here, stonk, a deliberate misspelling of stock, meaning a share of the value of a company, which could be bought, sold, or traded as an investment, was coined in a 2017 meme. The word is often used humorously on the internet to imply a vague understanding of financial transactions or poor financial decisions. (laughs) Yeah, so it's a great title for a show. And I thought the actors and performers are really good. And it's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. It's, it's about um, based around an actual fraud. I think it's yeah. the biggest financial fraud in German history. Yeah. Um, but it's Except done for in, a pretty, in a pretty um, wacky sort of approach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's funny because you, I, I think of all of those kind of scams happening in the United States, but I guess, of course, they happen around the world. Yes, there's no shortage of greed, <laughs> overambition, lies, cheating, and schemes right. throughout the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's just one of those things us humans like to cook up. <laughs> Well, I'm glad I was watching something that's a little bit lighthearted because um, I also watched just the toughest little movie. Uh, I don't know if oh. you've been able to get it up there. It's called Scarborough. Oh, no, I could not find it. Uh, it's based on the 2017 novel by Catherine Hernandez, and it's set on a street called Galloway in Scarborough, mm. Ontario, Canada. Oh, really? Yes, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a Canadian film. It's very gritty. It's oh no! It's so hard to watch this. It's about three kids and their families, what they have of them, mm-hmm. and it follows them through a school year, um, during which one of the kids dies. Um, two of the kids. It's like a bit of a coming of age tale in a way, yeah. because they they persevere and thrive in spite of a world in which every system around them fails them over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And these kids have all kinds of issues and need some really good assistance. And of course the system just gives them nothing. Um, There's a character in it who is running an after-school program after school literacy program who is like a saint who does so much for these kids and really helps you know bring them out and get them socializing and mm-hmm. um is just really fantastic and part of the film traces um emails back and forth between her and her boss mm-hmm. who is a bitch <laughs> i don't know how else to put it <laughs> but you know it one of the things this woman is doing is she recognizes that a she needs to get people to come for the program to work and b 
some of these kids are so poor they don't have food. And so she's using the budget to buy food and provide meals for kids. And the boss is basically saying, you know, you don't give full portions and, you know, you're not supposed to be buying meals. And it's just, you could see the, like the boss represents the system and is completely heartless and completely oblivious to the needs of these kids and their parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one kid, um, the, the, uh, the one parent is a drug addict and the other parent is a former skinhead who's really ill-equipped to look after a kid. And the kid is shuffled between the two parents. Um, this other wonderful kid named Bing is, I think, recognizing that he's not a he. He's got a gender issue. And his mother is re- really rolling with it in a really uh, interesting way. Um, the kid is also super bright and is uh, is slated for a gifted program, but that's going to mean that he's going to be away from the one friend that he's made. And it is it is tough. It is tough. It is gritty. Um, it's very hard to watch, but you can't take your you can't take your eyes off it. It's totally compelling, um, and you cheer for these kids throughout. Mm. Um, it's a fantastic movie. I can't rate it high enough there's cool. no scale really it's um it's just really really tough because we don't yeah. like to face the oh, the poverty around us no um and and this puts it right in our faces and mm-hmm. so it is uh it's very difficult tremendously tragically sad but it's also about two things one is the tremendous diversity in this community, which is fantastic in the community, and also about the resilience of the kids to Mm. thrive and be kids throughout the most difficult environments around them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not the, um, it's not the happy go lucky entertainment sort of movie, but it's, geez, I would say if you could watch this, watch it. It's a, it's a hell of a film. Um, very gritty, very beautiful, uh, very hopeful in a way. Hmm. Um, it's funny at I... the same time, it's hopeful. It's telling you there's no reason for hope. Hmm. I, I don't know where I can find it. Um, I, I searched around. I thought it was a, a show from Britain. So um, I, I definitely had Scarborough come up, but I, it was it was. Uh, it's on Netflix here. So you can certainly watch it when you're in town next. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> good times. <laughs> The other thing I spent some time with on your recommendation is uh, the four-part series uh, based on the book by Michael Pollan. Um, I can't get out of my head now that Michael J. Michael J. Fox is his brother-in-law. I don't know why I care about that. I know. Well, I care about it's it just... because I think it's cool because one, um, Tracy Pollan is is Michael Pollan's. There's that example of a family where people are extremely talented that come out of it she's a great actress she met michael j fox working on family ties way way 30 years ago or something um and uh also i think obviously the first thing i would think about is that um alternative medicine for michael j fox and i saw a special of his about 10 years ago and he had gone he was traveling around and talking about having his um ailment parkinson's i believe and um he went to Nepal and his symptoms 
as he was climbing the mountain were going away. Um, altitude had relieved a lot of his symptoms. Isn't that curious? Isn't it amazing? Yeah. And he was doing a kind of a search, uh, you know, a mystical search himself. Maybe it wasn't called mystical at the time, but it was it was soul searching and and and, and about him. It was a great. I absolutely adore so, the. We 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 digressed and we yeah. didn't mention the name of the series that we oh, both yeah. watched. Uh, it's called How to Change Your Mind. True. And it has four four chapters. The first chapter is called LSD. Mm -hmm. The second chapter is called psilocybin. The third chapter is called MDMA, and the fourth chapter is called mescaline. Yeah. Um, and it is an excellent excellent series yeah. well put together well researched a really nice balance of history mm -hmm. research and anecdotal mm -hmm. experience and evidence mm -hmm. talking about um not just these psychedelics but how they might be used to help people who have a wide range of difficulties in their lives mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I love this. This is dear to my heart. When I got the book years ago, um, and I, I don't know how, I, I mean, I love Michael Pollan anyway. He also has a mini series, a little documentary called The Botany of Desire. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Also in four parts. One of the parts is on tulips, one's on marijuana. Um, so he writes, a, he's a food writer in, in many ways, or I would call it um, maybe ethnobotany, right? The combination between humans and plants and a symbiotic relationship between them. And um, so um, when I saw he had that new book, How to Change Your Mind, I immediately picked it up. And the first thing I did was to look in the index and see if he had included the research that came out of Canada. Um, I grew up on the West Coast, as you know, and, and listeners know. And so this mini series, this little series has a lot of my childhood education in it. Um, I was well aware of the research done in Regina, Saskatchewan, on um, alcoholism and LSD being a cure for alcoholism, and vitamins being a cure for alcoholism and depression, because two researchers in Saskatchewan were doing it, and many of their students um, had moved to BC at some point. Um, I had a, a friend, an acquaintance, uh, who partook in the 1950s um, tests that they were running, take, giving students LSD. They had a lab set up and you could sign up and be a guinea pig. And he, not unlike Timothy Leary and Ken Kesey said, I want more. And he went through med school and became a doctor and he bought property out on Vancouver Island. And a, a lot of these kind of this wisdom, you know, my friend Pete who worked at a particle accelerator he was aware of all this stuff and kind of always would be like, if you take LSD, you've got to take these vitamins and set yourself up and take care of yourself and have a guide. So that was kind of how I came up looking at uh, plant medicine as being a very normal part of, uh, of, of a journey in life. Um, but it is so profound. The people that he includes, it's so well done because he includes the most perfect people to be interviewed for this documentary. And they're like the other documentary, it's such a variety of people. He's got a woman who's 78 and he says, you're not the normal kind of person we think of taking acid. And she's like, I'm not. <laughs> and she took it because of this grinding fear that sometimes happens when people get a diagnosis of cancer. 
And um, I know Alex Trebek said he had that grinding thing. And I, I actually think he had gone for some of this therapy too. So um, during the sessions that they have a guided doctor who helps them take a substance like LSD yes. and they talk about- I, I think the way that the therapeutic set sessions are, are structured with a, a lot of attention to the comfort of the mm -hmm. participant mm -hmm. and to have a guide there to- to help shape that experience. Yes, and 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 in the book they describe how you take you 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 suggest music and sometimes the therapist suggests music. I don't know notice if you notice so they have the camera on some of these sessions which is really amazing that they were able to share these. The people that were in these um in this research, because it was still research, um, we're so generous to give their um, permission to show those films. Um, you can see them. Um, they almost all the therapists pass them a bowl. They do not give them the medicine directly. They, the person has to take it. So these guides understand that part of the mystical tradition depends upon ritual. And the ritual could be as simple as a seashell holding the uh, plant medicine, or sometimes they had antique bowls. And they also recommend if you bring anything that has meaning to you, you can. And you're right, they give them a bed and blankets and blindfolds and music and headphones, and they can take them on, put them on, talk to the therapist, talk to the guide, and, and share their experiences. And it's, it's pretty profound. I thought the guy, there's one fellow who had OCD so badly that he could never enjoy even his baby being born and putting his baby to bed. And um, Michael Pollan talks about the, the, the really hard part for most of us to understand is that there's so much evidence that instead of having year after year after year of medicine, one dose, one treatment of plant medicine and, and symptoms are gone. The, the, the pain, the um, mind uh, traps and cycling has been removed from that person because they face those issues that were causing them in the first place in the, um, in the session. And so one of the things that's, that's set up is two ways of looking at this medicine one as the miracle drug yes. and the other as the satan drug yes. because of course many of these drugs have been outlawed banned yes. made illegal people thrown in prisons mm -hmm. for uh, mm -hmm. for ingesting these things mm -hmm. and yet if we're to believe the evidence presented in the series well overwhelmingly it's it's good medicine mm -hmm. Well, I liked who the bad guys were in the film. They brought out all the bad guys, Nixon, Reagan. Yeah. And they had them quoting that they were such a huge part of getting rid of these um, drugs because um, there is a lot of cultural commentary and argument about that this changed the face of culture, that these, um, that LSD left the lab is one of the, you know, kind of bylines that it escaped the lab and got into the mainstream and that the kids took over their experiences, changed the way they dressed, changed the music they were listening to, changed the music they were writing. And um, of course, if you've ever done um, uh, an ethnogen or a plant medicine, you can see directly how that would happen. <laughs> um, Michael Pollan in the first episode, I thought was so beautiful. You can see that he's very, very comfortable and he's very smiling when he talks to the camera. And he presents what you said about the good and the bad, the two different narratives of the psychotropic medicines. And I thought that was really good. And he said, you know, he's 65 and he's a writer. He's got a lot of success. 
but he can tell as he's getting older that he's getting more rigid in his thinking and he doesn't want to have that. He wants to do something. So he didn't take it for cancer. He took it to fight rigidity and to, and to put himself into the experiment of the work he was writing on. He yes. decided to be one of the participants. Yes. Uh, to, he, to he, also, he also made a very strong decision in the fourth chapter. Yes, he did. And that was to not take peyote. Yeah, yeah. You can take mescaline because it synthesized peyote, but he delves into the religious practices of a very uh, endangered plant and endangered culture. Yes. And, yes that, and he said, just leave it to them. Just leave it and, to them. And I have so much respect for that. Yeah, me it's, too. Good for him. And he could because, have taken Because a lot it. of people would just say, yeah, where can I get some? Yeah, and he could have taken it to justify it as part of his um, research. But, you know, certainly you can get masculine and it doesn't have to be. It's the same thing as peyote. Very similar. You can take a dose that would be mirrored to that. And yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. In the book, I don't think he takes MDMA because um, his doctor said he shouldn't. So he did consult a doctor as as the series does recommend that you consult your physician. Yes, with, yes, it has a little that. it has a little uh warding that says yeah. we're not offering medical advice here. No, it's for entertainment and information. Yes. And while they yeah. aren't offering medical advice, they're quite clearly saying, hey, look, this stuff, some of it is on the cusp of becoming legal for research mm -hmm. and medicine mm -hmm. again. And look at the results. We're not telling you what to do, but look at the results. Yeah. It's yeah. it's really they're very enthusiastic results. It, it really is enthusiastic results. And you know what? It's it's been going on for decades. Decade. It's not a recent research. There's new science on it that has been approved by the FDA FDA, but there's also a whole underground counterculture that has been studying this in the same way. And there are medical doctors and therapists that have been using it, even though it went against the law. And yeah. they have recorded their, he's not using that in this uh, film, but it's the, the people that he interviewed are not the only people who have been researching this for you know decades. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, it was really surprising to me. I didn't know that MDMA was from the 20s or 1912 or something. Yes. I took I took ecstasy when it was wasn't illegal. It still wasn't illegal. I took it after it was illegal too, but when I first took it it was made by a friend's brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little scary. No, not at all. He's you just fine. hope that you you just hope that your friend's brother passed chemistry class. He did pass. He was a chemist. Absolutely. Okay. And I mean the the um the the first LSD I took was a a a, a trickle down from Regina. Uh, it was made in Canada um, by people who knew my friends out there on the West Coast and in Calgary. Uh, so, um, you know, and like he said, it's very hard for people. Uh, Pollan also said in the very first episode, there's absolutely no evidence that it does any physical harm. And it's, it's absolutely not addictive. You know, there's definitely people were doing. Yes. Uh, and in fact, there seems propaganda. to be plenty of plenty of evidence that not only is it not addictive if you have addictions it's going to yeah. help you work your way yes. through those yeah yeah i remember a friend of mine that quit smoking when he was high on acid he was like what the fuck am i doing this for <laughs> he'd stop smoking like right away that night <laughs> that makes perfect sense yeah because all those details are coming to you and the connection that you're craving you know that whole part about the rigidity i thought was really cool is that 
Um, it is true. I mean, our brains do get, we get locked into ideas of what we thought we learned when we were in 15, 20, 25, 30. And, you know, whatever you thought was really maybe true at the time, things are always changing. Things are always being um, researched. And, and you, you, we don't, Michael Pollan talks about it, that he said, what about that awe that you had when you were a kid? You know, um, when I took ecstasy, I took it with my friend Jane and, and she wanted to go for a walk and it was a terrible snowstorm. And we ended up going to, to Rosedale. I lived on in Jarvis, remember my old apartment in Jarvis and um, for 14 Jarvis, if there's any believers out there. Um, anyway, we walked up to, she wanted to go to Rosedale. I was like, Rosedale, I don't want to go look at rich people's houses. That was my first impulse. And then I went, okay, you're right. Cause it is pretty. So we went and sat and the snowstorm happened and we both realized when was the last time we went out and sat in snow on purpose like children. And it was just such a profound experience to see awe and wonder in the snowfall. And we weren't complaining about our shoes or being cold or tired or, you know, anything. We were like just loving the beautiful physicality of it. And um, it does open up that part of your, um, it bypasses the rigidity and ego, you know, forms that we build up over the years. Yeah, I, I, I cannot recommend this um, this mini series more. I, I hope that this is really a true sign that we're going to be able to. It's going into the mainstream and that medical care will happen. When you well, see one of the things that that mm -hmm. has to happen um, for that to happen, yeah, um, for it to be for it to be used, I think clinically in the mainstream mm -hmm. um, is it has to be normalized yeah. and. Um, uh, a show like this may may as well have been designed if it mm -hmm. wasn't designed to normalize the yeah. the clinical use of these substances. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that there's a lot in in that way. You it's know? it's very hard to watch these four episodes and leave um, convinced that psychedelics are something done by a bunch of radical hippies. Right. Um, right. Uh, yeah. And instead to, to have a look at what these substances do to our brain and how they might actually help us. Yeah. And, 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 and also to be fair, they're not doing very much to the brain. That's what's fascinating about them is it's doing something to the thought processes in our minds. That's uh, why you can he parse it that way. It, yeah. Well, that's why he calls it how to change your mind. He's not, you know, the first impulse, I think most people say it's like, well, I want to change your mind and win an argument. That's not what it is. It's, it really is about, the guy with OCD, nothing changed in his physical world at all, except for that time he had yeah. in session where you he know we change our mind all the time. Yes, in, yes. In a in the same kind of way, um, let's call it learning. Yes, when we learn anything. Absolutely. What we're doing is we're remapping our brain. Absolutely. Uh, to uh, to be able to understand and do things that we couldn't understand or do before yes and we do that all the time that's absolutely. why when, when i practice fiddle that's what i'm doing i'm changing my mind absolutely and you know to be fair um psychotropic medicine is only one aspect of of doing that to your mind um Stag and i were trying to talk this morning i think there's all kinds of ways that people do that one is it for me as a nature if i get to a place like niagara falls or somewhere that's just mind-blowingly 
overwhelming or the ocean, the beach, the mountains. Um, I have a similar paradigm shift where it's something is changing in my mind. When I look at art, you know, I went to see the, the only thing I would say about it as a metaphor for psychotropic medicine is that I saw the Mona Lisa when I was a teenager. I went to Paris, went with a school and saw the Mona Lisa. Now, when I see a picture of the Mona Lisa, I'm also referring to the actual experience of seeing Mona Lisa. And I think that's what nature does and um, that these plant medicines are doing too, is that they're showing you where to look and that you aren't going to die by thinking differently. And learning, you know, the biggest part of learning is that you're afraid of making a fool of yourself if you're someone like me. You know, you're nervous. When I was in school, I didn't want to put my hand up for math or anything like that. You know, I didn't want to give the wrong answer. I was really insecure that way. And, um, and um, which is very typical for females in class. That's why some classrooms, they separate girls and boys so that women don't feel self-conscious um, where guys can tend to sort of, they're culturally trained to take over and answer questions um, or appear to be correct. And so I think that, that when you realize, well, there's no harm learning is just not knowing something. You know what I mean? It's like, you will change your mind. It's okay to not know something. Like, I don't feel any shame not knowing that I use the wrong needles, you know? I mean, for me, it's actually hilarious. <laughs> because I do know enough about my personality that I have to use the machine before I look at the manual. I just, I just have to, that's how I learn. I have to go in there, make mistakes, break. I broke a needle. The first two hours I used the machine immediately broke a needle. Guess what? I just put another needle in. You can't know everything. I think this idea that, you know, um, that you go to school and when you finish school, whether it's university or high school, you know everything and now you're ready, you're set in stone. Very I, I would just like to, uh, to add a caution yeah. for our yes. listeners. Um, <laughs> if you're operating heavy machinery, we would like you to read the instruction manual before operating the heavy yes. machinery. Don't do if what you're going to be driving a nuclear submarine, yeah. I would like you to go to nuclear submarine <laughs> school before turning the key, please. And I would like you to go to take plant medicine and not even make the nuclear submarine. <laughs> yeah, stay stay at home and uh, with a cup of tea and be a psycho, not like candy. <laughs> no, I really hope people. You know, you don't have to go and and try any of these medicines, but I think it's fascinating to go and see this. You know, right at home, you can watch Netflix. You're definitely right that they're up to no good with this. Um, documentary. One of my favorite, I'll watch any documentary he makes and it's Alex Gibney. He was one of the producers of this. Um, he's just probably the, the one of the best documentarians out there right now, especially mainstream getting, you know, he made Going Clear. Did you ever see that? Stay no. calls Going Clear the scariest movie he ever saw. It's about uh, Scientology. Uh -huh. <laughs> and Alex Gibney had been part of the uh, Scientology church and had left it. Had escaped. Yes, he had escaped. Uh, yeah, I, I, I loved all that. I, I just thought it was so great. Such a great series. Now, it's a little bit different than the book. In the book, they get into a little bit more of the history of Timothy Leary. They do mention um, William There's going to be room in a book for a lot more detail. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, if you... Yes, they, they kind of left Timothy Leary dangling. They, right. they gave you tastes of him, but they didn't give right. you the rounded picture. Well, he is a challenging, he's a polarizing character. You know, I'm a Timothy Leary fan. 
I like him, love everything he did, totally cool. But some people felt that he had been part of the problem of why LSD got um, outlawed. I don't sure. think he was, but, um, you know, that he brought too much attention, sort of like William Burroughs brought too much attention to peyote and, and heroin and other things is that it's the kind of attention that maybe you don't want to have on these things. But you know what? The man is always going to restrict anything good for you and fun and uh, positive. Yeah, I would just they, like to say that heroin is, is probably, well, I don't know if it's fun, but it's not good for you. It's not good for you. And I'm not condoning heroin use at all. I'm all, but I'm also not judging it. I just don't, I don't think it's a good idea to get into I'm heroin. just here to add the wordings for yes. the wording allegedly, label. For our, allegedly, our allegedly. Um, no, I don't want to condone heroin. In it. And it also, it is addictive. Whereas the plant medicine is not addictive. In fact, if you've ever done plant medicine, it's so, takes up so much of your time, like six to 12 hours. It's not for doing every day. It's not for all the time. And um, Michael Pollan says, he said, listen, that awe and wonder of childhood, you, it's not sustainable. It's not right that we should sustain that. We are meant to step away from it and then go back to it. And, you know, you don't want to sustain it, but you don't want to lose it either. And something like doing a little bit of, um, you know, what's funny is um, uh, there's a guy on there and he said he's the, 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 the uh, godfather of uh, microdosing. Well, I think I am the microdoser queen because the last time I did LSD was, mm -hmm. you know, Drew, I went to a party with Ian and Ian wants to take LSD. And I said, well, I'll do some with you, but I'm going to take like a tiny portion. And that's when I realized, oh, my God, I don't have to take a whole thing. Just take a portion. I'm so sensitive that it, just a little bit is just enough. <laughs> so I've become a microdoser ever since. Hi, there Drew, you if go. you're out there. I doubt Drew's listening, but it'd be really cool if he was. No last names mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you watched that. And I mean, I gave like 12 copies of that book to people. It's a pretty intense read, though. As intense as this um, documentary is, the book is really like you're going down to a bunch of rabbit holes because they definitely get into the CIA part and Timothy Leary. Oh, sure. Because there's, lots of, there's lots of good stories around that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really liked that, it also because, oh, sorry, Eugene, sorry. It's okay. That's okay. Um, I'm used to being uh, cut off. I wanted to mention that, <laughs> well, I think that sometimes I'm in the middle of something too. And I just want to, you know, no, no offense. Sometimes I want to finish a train of thought. I wanted to mention. Um, you mean I would interrupt you in the middle of a no, sentence? No, no, no. Is that the, the CIA Would I interrupt part? you in the middle of a sentence? <laughs> One thing I like about the CIA part is that the I have a chapter in my book that's going to be about CIA backlash. So I like that part of the story where the CIA thought they were testing on soldiers and whatnot. And it was a, they gave it to the wrong guy, Ken Kesey. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Eh? And it totally backfired for them. Yeah. Um, but I'm not talking about um, LSD in mind. It's something else, but uh, I am writing about a backlash that the CIA did too, that turned out to be a great thing and produced lots of great stuff. Right. I also wanted to say when I watched that, how to, how to build a sex room, I'm, I'm like, oh, we're back to this again. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I just remember somebody else. Cause you know, my husband was pretty excited about this and I said, yeah, I'll tell you what I saw. I saw more housework. <laughs> <laughs> I saw another room to clean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just think that, that a sex room would just make people laugh. <laughs> well, you're not supposed to show it to anybody. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. I don't like it because it would have to be. I mean, secret. even the participants. It's oh, like, oh, we're in the sex room. Well, oh, they funny. talk about that. They talk about that. They are laughing is part of it. That's okay wow. to laugh. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's okay to laugh. It shouldn't, don't take yourself so seriously, remember? Oh, rule number six. Rule number six. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, they encouraged that. One of the guys was like, if I'm role playing, I feel like I'm just going to laugh. And the, 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 the therapist for that said, that's okay to laugh. It's not, it's not heavy, serious. It's fun. There you go. Yeah. Well, where to from Wisconsin? Where to? Well, I'm going to be here for a couple of days and back in Chicago. Okay. Yeah. It's not that far. What is it? An hour and 15 minutes or something mm -hmm. with bad traffic traffic. And uh, yeah, so we're going to get the computer set up. We're going to look at the footage, see what we have. Um, you know, I have something I should read this to you because I was debating whether or not to put it in the film. You know, I said, it's not all fun and games on, uh, on uh, the internet with these book clubs. And I, I haven't been on this one site for a while. And it's the Cormac McCarthy Forum. And I haven't been on it for weeks because last time there was this guy, I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago that was just going on and on about this and that. But so the other day there's a reading list and they started a new thread. You know, when they get too full, there's all these different threads and topics. When it gets too full, somebody start a new one. And this person was a little bit, didn't really like that it was a new thread. And then he goes on to say this, but this is the age of the confirm or get canceled and the Me Too crowd and the activist lynch mobs. This is the age of social media where you can engage with other people online, full of hectors and hall monitors who will punish you for conforming to the reigning political correctness by diatribes, shouting you down, getting you locked out or otherwise silencing you. Some people have tried that here, such as the airheaded and fanatical Candy Minx barrage against me in the previous reading thread. <laughs> airheaded and, and fanatical. I know. I want to feature that in my blog post. I know. This right? week featuring the airheaded and fanatical <laughs> Candy Minx. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know. That's called the episode that. Oh, airheaded and fanatical? Sure. Airheaded and fanatical candy minks. Yes, I love it. I'm all yes. for it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but isn't that funny? Um, <laughs> I mean, also, the thing is that it's been happening for a couple of years now. So at some point, and they made some pretty threatening remarks a few months ago. That's why. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think if you're going to if you're going to be in a club, it means that you've made a decision to play well with the other kids. <laughs> Well, but also, the internet, because the internet, it gives us so much distance from the other kids mm -hmm. that we think that they aren't really around us. And so we could be really rude. Right, right. You know, and there's also a fine line here that, I, and I don't know how to, to frame it, but the problem is a lot of people, I understand the frustration with thinking that you can't say anything in public, you're going to get um, reprimanded or something, right? But it's always been that way. We're always supposed to be polite. The problem is that Privileged people don't realize that when you trash woke, woke is like, I don't even want to deal with that. That doesn't even matter. The point is when you are trashing being woke or trashing um, political correctness, you're actually signaling to people that you may be racist. So it's not in your benefit to trash that. It's, uh, you know, because young people many young people take that right away as being that you're a racist and you don't want us to call you out on it. So he, this person does not understand it. They probably um, have something happening in their life that's 
making them worse and worse off. I hope those young people vote in the next American election. I, I hope so too. I hope so too. And Canadian <laughs> elections for that matter. I know, I know. We can't point fingers because uh, this populist bullshit keeps happening. What does it mean populist bullshit? Is that just like, it's like it feeding into a, a low, like cheap gas mindset? Cheap food, cheap gas mindset? That's another whole episode. All right. It? Well, we'll leave it for that then. Okay. I'll go, I'll go Google populist. <laughs> All right. We'll be back at you next week. Take care. Don't forget to email us at the agency.podcast at gmail.com. We're still collecting dreams That's and right. anything else. Okay. Words of wisdom, complaints. Yeah, we're desperate. We'll even take complaints. Absolutely. Call me airheaded. I don't care. I'll just laugh. That's okay. Somebody called me a cunt the other day in a text and I laughed so hard. Not to me, but to my friend. <laughs> it was an ex-person that was a breakup, you know, and the, they, they somehow mentioned my name and they're like, I guess I'm just, I'm just polarizing me and Timothy Leary. There you go. All right. You're I love Tim. That. Bye. Bye.